If y'all would turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. This can be found in the Bibles in the seats around you on page 981 if you're looking at those. This morning we come to a passage that I remember in seminary we used to have to do this thing where we would preach through a book of the Bible and each person would get assigned different passages and we would usually preach through one of Paul's letters and uh, it was always, it would come to someone to be assigned to preach on Paul's travel plans, that's what we called it, where Paul's kind of giving details about where he's going to be and who's going to be where and what's going to be going on. And so that's kind of what we've come to in Philippians 2. I think as we look at this, you'll see there's, a, there's more to it than just an itinerary here. Because one of the things I love about this passage, and I love about passages like this in the Bible, is that it shows us the realness of life, and that the Bible is written and interacts with real people in a real time, in a real place, doing real things. And there is illness, there is prison, there is suffering, there are real emotions involved, it's real. And so we see how God in his sovereignty and his grace interacts uh, into real life. And the Bible doesn't give us some sort of uh, picture here of pie in the sky, easy living, feet kind of propped up, doing nothing. Uh, But we see here the call to have dirt under our fingernails, as it were. And to serve as we follow the life and ministry of Jesus. So, with that in mind, let's look at this Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. This is God's word to us. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, And your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is God's word. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the realness, uh, the earthiness of it, as it were, as we read about illness and uh, someone who's in prison, uh, the, the movement of people from one place to another for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, uh, and in the midst of it, a calling for us to serve. 
And so, Lord, we ask now that your spirit would teach us, that we would be open to hear and receive your word and to, and to put um, this calling into action by your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Robbie Caldwell is a football coach uh, in the Southeast. He's been a football coach in the Southeast for a long time. He's currently the offensive line coach at Clemson. And recently, I watched an interview with him, uh, and one of the subjects that he talked about was recruiting. And it was very interesting what he said as he, he gives kind of the description of what he does as a coach when he goes into a high school to recruit an offensive lineman. And if you can imagine this in a very deep, rich southern accent, it'll sound better. But here's what he says. We do our research. We take our time. We get to know you. We're going to find out about your grades. But the first thing I do when I go into the school, I ask the janitor about you. That's a fact. That's what he always says. Because they know. They watch you walk up and down the hall. They see you when you throw that chewing gum wrapper down or when you pass one by and don't pick it up. They know. They find out a lot about you and what you do in the dark. It will come to light. Now, don't you want to go play for that guy right now? In a sport that turns on the spotlights real bright, right, where thousands upon thousands of people cheer you or maybe boo you on a Saturday, and everybody's wanting to know how fast you are, how big you are, how strong you are, all those different things. And here comes this coach into your high school, and he's asking the janitor about you because he wants to know your character. And specifically, he wants to know how it's expressed in serving others. With that in mind, we come to Philippians 2. And really, the same thing's at stake. Is there's a calling for us to serve one another. There's a character assessment, as if you will, that we see as we read about Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. We live in a culture that loves celebrity status, that loves the spotlight, that loves the big time, whether it's in the world of athletics or in the arts or in academics or in business or even in the church. What's bigger and better, quote-unquote, is what makes the magazine covers or the television shows, and it's built up to amazing heights, and then, of course, as we see often, it's torn down in an instant when the wind changes. But in Philippians 2, and throughout the Scriptures, we see a different calling. There's a calling for Christians that involves moving down instead of moving up, where we see real-life demonstrations of humility, and of serving others. We've seen it in Philippians 2 already, as Paul has first shown us the pattern and example of Jesus, who humbled himself in his life and death for us. Paul then gives an example from his own life, as he also was being poured out as an offering, as he ministers to the Philippians from afar in a jail cell. As we move into the text before us today, we see demonstrations of service and humility in the lives of two men named Timothy and Epaphroditus. And some of you who maybe are planning to have children, Lord willing, in the next few years, if you would remember Epaphroditus, I don't think that name has gotten enough run in recent years. We can bring that one back. 
that these are, these are men who heard the instruction of Philippians 2.5. That your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And they have lived it out. What we read earlier in the, ser- the service is we had our call to confession from Micah 6.8. To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. This is what the lives of these men were about. So as Paul tells us about this, there's, he's also going to show us and give instruction to us on what it looks like for us to minister to one another, to serve one another, and remind us that it is the calling of every Christian to practice and to pursue ministry, and to serve one another, and that our attitude and our actions would be, as Philippians 2.5 says, would follow Christ would be the same as Christ Jesus. Instead, so the, the questions we want to raise this morning is, well, what does this ministry of serving one another look like and how can we serve one another? How does it work? And the first thing we're going to see is this, as we look at this passage, is that in order to minister to one another, to serve one another, we must trust God's sovereignty instead of our own self-sufficiency. The first thing we see here is this radical trust that Paul has in God's sovereignty. And that there's a posture, there's an attitude that precedes serving others. It's not something that we can just kind of manufacture. Paul, who's in prison as he writes this letter, he longs to encourage the Philippians. He wants to send his fellow workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus, to them. Yet he makes his plans dependent on the sovereign movement of God. Notice verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Verse 23. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Verse 24. I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself would be able to come also. Paul demonstrates to us that his ministry plans are dependent upon trusting God's providence to move that he hopes and trusts in the Lord Jesus that these things will come to pass. Because he's united to Christ and dependent upon him for everything, he submits his plans to the providence of God. So let me ask the question to you that I ask myself in regards to this. To learn dependence upon God, what do we, what do we need to happen? Do we have to be in chains like Paul was? to learn this sort of dependence and trust? Do we see Paul's optimism here, even as he is in chains, that he trusts God, even when things are a little bit difficult, his own imprisonment, the illness of Epaphroditus, all these things that are happening. He trusts God and entrusts his plans to him. See, most of us today, we're not, not in chains, at least visibly, I don't see any as I look around, at least not in the same way Paul was. But we must ask the question, why are we hesitant sometimes to entrust ourselves and our plans to God's providence and sovereignty? While Paul, who was laying there in a jail cell, unable to go anywhere himself, felt very free to depend upon God. There's a couple of reasons why I think and this is this may be more self-reflective for me, but maybe uh, you'll relate as well. Is that we're so used to being in control, 
or so we think, that we tend to gravitate toward self-sufficiency, toward taking care of things on our own, toward making sure we don't let things get out of control and things remain kind of tidy and neat and life remains kind of manageable for us. But then we read this passage and we see Paul's in chains. We see he's sending Timothy, a young associate who later he will tell him, hey, Timothy, don't be afraid, right? You have the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. And then there's this guy, Epaphroditus, who's risked his life. He's been very sick and ill. Wouldn't it just be easier not to bother with all this? Ah, the Philippians, they can, they can deal with it themselves. We, we don't need to get to them. But Paul doesn't see things that way because there's a bigger mission in mind. He knows Jesus is Lord, that he's united to Christ by faith, and that Jesus is Lord of him and has become his salvation, that Jesus also is Lord of his plan for ministry and is Lord of his life. He is Lord of the everyday because he is Lord of everything. It's this sort of trust that James speaks of in James chapter 4 where he says this, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such, and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What a great phrase that is. That's what Paul believed. And then James continues, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And so this calling to minister to and to serve one another that we'll see in this passage, it begins with a posture of dependence upon God, of letting go of our own controlling tendencies, our, our own self-sufficient desires to submit to the Lordship of Christ and trust God's sovereign plan that will take care of the days to come. Perhaps you've seen this or maybe you've had the privilege of experiencing it yourself. When you go to the grocery store and you get to have one of the cool carts. Everybody know what I'm talking about? The cool carts? It's the one where the, the little kids get their own steering wheel. Okay, you've probably seen this or maybe you've experienced it yourself. And the parents back there pushing the cart and the kids up there driving with the steering wheel and they are, they are making turns like their life depends on it, okay? Like if they make a wrong turn, we're going into the banana stand, okay? I mean, they are just, they are into it. And I remember doing this with my kids and, you know, people would, you know, kind of walk by and say, you're doing a great job driving, you know, to the kid and that sort of thing. But we know the reality, don't we? That they're steering as hard as they can, but the reality is, you know, there I was as their father pushing the cart, right? I was doing the steering. I was controlling where things were going to go and doing the actual driving as we did the work of shopping together. And the picture here is that we get the privilege of participating in the mission of God's work and his calling to us to serve and to build his kingdom. And we get the freedom even to turn the steering wheel and smile about it. But our Father is the one who is sovereignly directing, who is sovereignly moving, who enables us by His grace to participate in the mission He has called us to, to minister to one another and, and the world. 
So the question as we, as we continue in this sermon is, do, do we trust God? Do we trust Him in this work and with our lives? The second point we see is this, and that in order to minister to one another, we must follow Christ's pattern to serve instead of be served. This was the case for Timothy, who described Paul, who was described by Paul as one who is genuinely concerned for the welfare of God's people, one who sought the interest of Jesus Christ and who has served with Paul in the gospel. We've already seen the pattern laid out earlier in Philippians 2, where Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. As we read earlier from our preparation for worship, Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as we look at how Jesus came to serve, it does two things for us. First thing is that it brings us back to the cross of Christ. It shows us how Jesus accomplished our salvation. That he came down, he took on our life, our pain, our sorrow, our sickness, our sin. He came and he loved us. And as it says in Romans 5, when we were still weak and while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. Jesus came to, he came to serve, he came to take on flesh, to live among us, to suffer, die, be raised for us. It was necessary that we might be rescued from our own sin and from death and from hell itself. And so when we look at Jesus, we, we see his work on the cross. We see all that he has done for us in Christ. We see the security of our salvation. And the second thing, when we look at Jesus and how he came to serve, is that we see a pattern for how we are to serve as well. Philippians 2.5 says our attitude is to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And we know that attitude precedes and leads to action. And that the attitude of humility that we've already seen in Philippians 2, that attitude is what leads to service. It leads to putting others ahead of yourself, to taking a genuine interest in the welfare of others, and setting aside your own interest for the cause of Christ. And because Christ has taken a genuine interest in our welfare, by living and dying and rising again for us, that sets us free to take a genuine interest in the welfare of others. We are united to Christ. Our eternal status is secure. Our identity is in Him. We belong to Him. We are in the hands of our sovereign Father. And therefore, we're set free to give and to serve freely to others. And so, as we reflect on this, we ask the question, it will be similar to the question earlier, I think. But what's, is there something that's hindering us from taking a genuine interest in the welfare of others? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's distractions. Maybe it's because we've fallen into what Paul alludes to in verse 21 here, the trap of seeking our own interests first and not seeking the interests of Christ. Maybe in the high school cafeteria of life, we pursued the comfort and the security of sitting at the same table all the time with the same people, 
affirming us and accepting us, keeping things at the surface level, maybe bypassing the hurting and the lonely, whether it's those at the table with us or those who are maybe off in the corner by themselves. So the question becomes, what does it look like then for us to take a genuine interest in the welfare of others? What about our neighbors? Do we know their names and stories? What specific ministry or act of service might God be calling you to? Whether it's in the church or in your neighborhood or your workplace or in the community. Practically speaking here, as we reflect on that question, it's helpful to be reminded that we can't do everything. For instance, Epaphroditus here, he had a specific calling. It was to go back and forth from Paul to the Philippians. He wasn't supposed to go to Corinth or he wasn't supposed to go to Ephesus. Other folks had those callings. But he had a calling to Philippi. And we see that he gave himself to that calling, even to the point of risking his life. And so we want to ask this question as we reflect on this. What, what is one area that we can serve in? What is one gift that you have that can be applied in a specific context? What is one pers- who is one person that you might get served this week in a small way? These are the questions that begin to flow as we reflect on the work of ministry and of service that we're called to here. And this calling, as we see in our text, taking a genuine interest, serving others, loving them as Christ has loved you, Our calling is not to save others. That belongs to God. That belongs to the sovereign work through Christ who came to serve and not be served. But he works through us, doesn't he? As he calls us to serve others. And God graciously allows us to participate in his mission that others would see Christ and see the work that he has done for us and be amazed that those who don't know him would, would see what happens in our lives and they would, they would begin to get a picture. Okay, that's, that's what God is like. He serves. He gives. He loves. And as this passage before us demonstrates, it's in and through our weakness that God is pleased to work for his glory and our good. Paul is in chains. Timothy can't get to Philippi yet. Epaphroditus is ill. God's grace is sufficient for us, isn't it? His power is made perfect in weakness. Finally, in order to minister to one another, to serve one another, we must live sacrificially instead of seeking to preserve ourselves. This is a, the call to serve is a, is a high calling. And as we look at the life of Epaphroditus here, this documented here in Philippians 2, we see that it requires sacrifice. He was a messenger from the Philippians to Paul. He had been given an important job of carrying a gift from the Philippians to Paul. He would be given another important job of carrying this letter from Paul to the Philippians. It's noteworthy here, this is kind of a side note, but look at how Paul speaks of Epaphroditus. How the encouraging words he used, how he calls him his fellow uh, worker. Uh, he calls him his brother his fellow soldier. And then he encourages uh, the people of the Philippian church to honor this man because he had nearly died for the work of Christ. And just as a side note, think about 
man, today the, the cynicism that we live with, the, the things that are said from one person about another that we see on the big screen, but then we see in our daily lives too, don't we? Kids, think about the, sometimes the things you hear other people say that are mean and putting people down. But here in the scripture, we see this uplifting language of encouragement, of hope, of honoring people who are made in God's image, who God has called to serve. And that's how Paul speaks of Epaphroditus. He had entered into the gospel partnership that we've seen in Philippians. He's part of the ministry the Philippians have with Paul. And in the process of carrying out his ministry assignment here, he travels a long distance. He gets very sick and gets very ill. And apparently he almost dies. And we don't know the medical details or anything like that, but it, it seems pretty difficult that Epaphroditus has suffered here for the work of Christ. In order to serve, we must be willing to give up things. We must be willing to sacrifice. That There must be a giving of ourselves. And there might be a minimum inconvenience to us. Or it might cost us something. Or perhaps we might even face suffering for doing the work of Christ. Now, why would anyone want to sign up for that, right? Who wants to sign up for something that's hard? Well, if you put your trust in Christ, you've signed up for something that's hard, something that's difficult. The text helps us here because it reminds us of a few things. That, that One, we can serve even to the point of sacrifice because of the Lord's sustaining mercy to us. It comes up a couple of times in the, pa- the passage, a reminder that God is merciful. That God had had mercy on Epaphroditus, that he enabled him to serve even through his illness. We can serve with confidence. We can even take risk. We can pay the cost because we know that no matter what, God's mercy is with us. The second thing we see here in this passage that's all over the place is that when we serve, we serve together. It's a community effort. It's a family effort. We've seen Paul speak of Timothy as his son in the faith, and Epaphroditus is his brother. He speaks to the mutual concern that they have with the Philippians for one another. And even he gets into, I love the, all the emotions that Paul talks about here. The anxiety that the illness of Epaphroditus that calls Paul and the Philippians. The joy that they would have by being able to be reconnected. All those things coming together. If we have this sort of bond together as God's family, we can go out together and serve and take risks together for the work of Christ. So we serve with one another, even as we serve one another. So next time you go and you have the opportunity to serve someone, take someone with you. Take a teammate. Take someone to go with you. Serve together and and grow in that way in the body of Christ. And finally, we, we can serve even when it costs us something. Because we serve Christ, who laid down his life for us. It was he who became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It was he who laid down his life for us. His body broken, his blood shed for us. So what is our response to be? I'm going to end with a quote from uh, Thomas A. Kempis. He's one of the fathers of the faith. He lived in the late 14th, early 15th century. 
And he says this in his work, The Imitation of Christ. Jesus has many who love his kingdom in heaven, but few who bear his cross. He has many who desire comfort, but few who desire suffering. He finds many to share his feast, but few his fasting. All desire to rejoice with him, but few are willing to suffer for his sake. Many follow Jesus to the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of the cup of his passion. Many admire the miracles, but few follow him to the humiliation of the cross. Many love Jesus as long as no hardship touches him. But they who love Jesus for his own sake, not for the sake of the comfort for themselves, bless him in every trial and anguish of heart, no less than in the greatest joy. And were he never willing to bestow comfort on them, they would still always praise him and give him thanks. So we'll end that with that this morning. Let us praise him and give him thanks with a life that belongs to him, that trusts his sovereign hand, that seeks to serve rather than be served. Because Christ came and he lived and died and was raised for us. Let's pray together. Father, we do give you praise and thanks for all that you have done for us through Christ for what you're doing in us by the work of your spirit, for what you're doing through us and calling us to serve and to minister to one another and to others in this world, Lord. Um, We admit our weakness and our frailty and our need for your grace and mercy. We ask that you would remind us of your goodness to us, uh, that you would keep us ever mindful of the cross, what Christ accomplished for us there and of the empty tomb, uh, the risen life that we have through him. We pray that you would be our help as we seek to apply these things this week by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.